everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj, June 8, 2021. As always, thank you all for continued support and listening to my episodes. Appreciate it. Hoping to do more and more to the summer. Maybe traveling, who knows? So, a lot may go down, but I will try to be as consistent as I can. Um, as we head into the summertime and everybody hopefully getting out, having some fun, chilling, doing all the great things that they can do. So in today's episode, I'm going to go over a couple of things. I will get to recapping the playoff basketball action we saw yesterday. Um, you know, I will get to that at some point. Um, what I do want to start with um, is talking about um, one of the series that will be taking place tonight in the Western Conference and that is the other semifinals matchup that would be uh, the LA Clippers and the Utah Jazz squaring off Uh, obviously both teams are coming off um, coming in with a lot of confidence to this series obviously the Clippers are a little bit battle tested Winning in Game 7 over uh, Dallas Mavericks. Kawhi Leonard showed up and played like the top four player in the world that he is. Um, and you look at the Utah Jazz. Uh, the return of Donovan Mitchell really sparked them as they were able to dispatch the Memphis Grizzlies very easily uh, in five games. So Jazz are well-rested. Clippers coming off some competitive games in the recent four days or so. So it's going to be interesting to see how both teams come out tonight. Um, Obviously, Utah has been looking to really uh, make a statement um, this year. I mean, whenever we were talking about the NBA title contenders, we would often go to the LA teams. So the Lakers are out. And now you have the Clippers now who are coming to the Utah Jazz um, to start game one. And this is going to be a huge test for Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz as they're going up against a Clippers team that is on a mission, is looking to quiet the doubters after what happened last year in the Western Conference semifinals when they took on the Nuggets and ended up losing in seven there. So the Clippers are coming in. Uh, playing some of their best basketball lately, looking to kind of prove their doubters wrong. But the Utah Jazz also are looking to prove a lot of people wrong who think that they cannot win a championship with this group. And so Dominic Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, they are going to be tested. Uh, the play of both of them in this series will be key. Um, and as for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they know what's at stake. You know, they're looking to get to the conference finals. Can they get it done? Can they make it happen this time around? Have they learned from their previous playoff run in the bubble? Can they put it together against the Utah Jazz and find a way to get past them? So, we'll start with the keys to victory for the LA Clippers. And looking at it, I think the first uh, key to victory for the Clippers in this series will be defensively they have to win the rebounding battle. 
Now that's easier said than done because they don't have Serge Ibaka out there. But, you know, Marcus Morris, Zubak, you know, you got Nicholas Platoon playing in there. They got to be able to get those rebounds defensively and make it count. They got to take advantage of those rebounds and, and, and push that. So Rudy Gobert is a monster in terms of being able to get to his spots. You know, he's able to really do a good job of rebounding and, and seizing the ball. So the Clippers defensively need to get rebounds and try to make it count. You know, turn those rebounds in, in, into effective possessions. I think that's one thing you have to do against Utah because they're so well coached and they're really a solid team that can kind of beat you with their size inside and if they get rebounding um, you know, consistently they're hard to beat. So it comes down to Zubak, Morris, Ibaka possibly may play in this series at some point. Rebounding, rebounding, rebounding is key for the Clippers in this one. Number two. I think Paul George needs to play at a high level in this series on both sides of the basketball. If he has to guard Donovan Mitchell, he needs to really do a good job of trying to contain him, limit him as much as possible, force him to pass the ball to someone else to make other shots. You know, make Mike Conley beat you. You know, make someone else shoot like Joe Inglis. You know, try to force... Mitchell out of his comfort zone. But Paul George needs to step up because Kawhi Leonard is going to do his thing. Kawhi Leonard is going to do his thing. Everyone knows Kawhi Leonard is going to do his thing. Kawhi Leonard is going to shoot. He's going to score. It's about what does Paul George do. Now, Paul George did play relatively well against Dallas Mavericks, but he wasn't at his best throughout the series. There were some games where he really stepped up and shines. Uh, but he... He needs to do more in this series. He needs to be, I think, the playmaker, the difference maker in this series. Because Kawhi Leonard is going to do what he has to do. But, you know, the Clippers were able to get away with Kawhi Leonard doing all those things. Because, you know, the Mavericks defensively just did not have an answer for him. The Utah Jazz will have an answer, I think, for Kawhi Leonard in some capacity. And they're going to force Kawhi Leonard to give the ball to Paul George. And Paul George gotta hit three-pointers he's gotta hit his shots early and often he needs to get into a rhythm offensively because that is going to be key um especially if Kawhi Leonard is out of the game for for some some time or getting rest if Paul George is on that court with the second unit Paul George needs to be the man he's got to attack he's got to play like the contract that, he's, that he is getting paid um he's got to show up as he's a superstar in this series if he locks down Donovan Mitchell, if he keeps him at bay, um, you know, he'll go a long way in the Clippers having a chance to win this series. And the third key for the Clippers, their bench. Their bench definitely needs to play more effectively. The Utah Jazz have been able to do that throughout the season uh, relatively well. I think you just kind of see what Jordan Clarkson has done. Uh, it's time to see the Clippers kind of get more from their bench and Terrence Mann did have some nice moments in the first round series he's going to be have to play a much better bigger role in this series um, you just got to see them get productive from their bench and that means that everyone really needs to be active and attacking and making most of their possessions so whether the Clips play Terrence Mann Patrick Beverly um, you know or they you know decide to start Marcus Mortis off the bench 
they need to score, they need to be effective in, in doing so. And the decision making will be crucial because you know there's a lot of times when the Clippers have a lead and that bench comes in and they're not able to sustain it really, really well. So it comes down to can the Clippers kind of keep their edge, can they keep their bench going, um, and how are they going to be able to orchestrate shots and make the decisions will be key for them to win the series. As for the Utah Jazz, uh, the first key for them, they got to push the Clippers in the fast break and get quality shots in the perimeter. I think that's one of the things that, you know, Dallas obviously was trying to do, but, you know, Dodgers was the only one who was doing that. But in this series, I think that the Jazz have to push the pace against the Clippers, test their defense, get them out of position, but get, get quality shots from the perimeter. Make it, you know, make it, make it count on the perimeter in this series. Thing number two, I think Dominic Mitchell and Ruby Gobert, like I said before, they have to score well, but also get their teammates, Bogdanovich, O'Neal, going early on. They need to get those guys engaged and active because, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to Rudy Gobert, Dominic Mitchell, playing that fourth quarter and having the energy, having the ability to knock down clutch shots to make get possessions. And I think that if Mitchell and, and Gobert are able to kind of find themselves and score that'll be great now Mitchell will be able to pass the ball you know, Mitchell can't be a great passer when he chooses to be and and, Don, and Rudy Gobert is a, just a great in terms of rebounding um, but you just want to see these guys try to get their teammates going early on because I think they'll need more than just you know them two alone may be able to do a good job early on inside, but Clippers will adjust, and it will come down to the perimeter shooting, and come down to their teammates being active and scoring. So the, the Jazz have won this postseason, at least against Memphis, by having a balanced effort offensive. So they need everybody to be in double figures, score, to touch the ball, ball movement, and the ability to make shots will be key. So really looking at how Mitchell and Gobert not only score, but how they get their teammates going early on. And I think the third key for the Utah Jazz is got to keep Kawhi Leonard in check. Uh, and what I mean by that is you can't let Kawhi Leonard take you over take you over in the fourth quarter. You can't let him get hot enough the way that he got against Dallas. you got to make Kawhi Leonard work for it, attack him, force him, trap him in the pick and roll, paint, you know, get make quite an uncomfortable as much as possible. Utah does have some size, some athleticism that they can put on Kawhi Leonard. But they have to find a way to limit his shot making. Um, or at least make him defer. Make him defer to anybody else. Um, but try to keep him in check and not let him be the reason why you lose in the fourth quarter. You know, Don't let him take over the way that he took over against Dallas. And that will come down to Dominic Mitchell, Bogdanovich, and... Just overall defense, being able to keep Kawhi Leonard from, you know, getting those easy possessions or getting those easy calls. He's going to have to make him work for it, make him attack on different angles. Uh, be physical with Kawhi Leonard. I want him to see if they can really be physical with him without fouling. And that would be a, a huge test to see if they can do that. Um, but that would be very important if the Utah Jazz want to advance in this series. So... Looking at this series and the totality of it, we're going to come down to obviously superstar play. And you look at the Utah Jazz, they have been 
really good all year long. Obviously had their rough patches, but they've been able to bounce back and play well. Clippers are on a mission. You see how Kawhi Leonard did play and Paul George, you know, they're more confident than ever. As Paul George said, they're war ready for this series. So I think it will be a very entertaining series. Um, looking at it, I just it's really hard uh, to pick a winner in this one, but I think both teams are going to really obviously come out strong, do their thing. If I had to pick a series winner for this one, I am going to pick the Utah Jazz to win in six games. Now, the Utah Jazz, I believe they're going to win the first two home games. And I think that the Utah Jazz are just much more sound defensively um, than the Clippers are. Now, the Clippers were able to limit the Dallas Mavericks. Um, but mostly, you know, the Dallas Mavericks weren't as consistent in terms of shooting and performance from the floor. Like Porzingis didn't do a whole lot, uh, enough to the point where, um, you know, didn't do a whole lot in terms of like being that top player, uh, that, you know, he can be. And that's because of Luka's play style, just not being able to hit shots enough. But I think the Utah Jazz have just much more guys who can put the ball in the hole. They can score. Then they can apply pressure on the Clippers. And I think that, I think in this series, I think the Utah Jazz are really going to apply pressure. They're going to be really aggressive and attacking the Clippers inside. Um, I think they're going to force a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Clipper defenders to really, um, you know, space out, close out. So I think the Utah Jazz win this series in six games. I think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George will play well. Um, but I think in terms of that third viable scoring option that the Clippers are looking to have in this series, Marcus Morris may have his moments. And so will Larry Jackson have his moments. But I don't think they have enough to beat the Utah Jazz. I think Utah Jazz have more shooters. I think that their Utah Jazz bench will be much more locked in and better than the Dallas Mavericks were in the previous series. And I think that Utah Jazz will kind of ride that momentum. I think they'll hit the three-pointer much more consistently. I think they'll have more bench production. I think Jordan Clarkson will be a huge difference in this series off the bench. And I think that somehow the Utah Jazz find a way to close out the Clippers uh, in six. Uh, And I think Mitchell's going to really break out and and, you know, have a huge series and show that he's, he's arrived um, as an emerging shooting guard in this league. So I'm picking the Utah Jazz to win this series. Um, Clippers, obviously, they're, they're going to be tested a lot and they may come out strong as well, especially when the games go back to LA. Uh, but I think Utah Jazz, they're just more ready to kind of make a statement, to make some noise. And I think that they know what's at stake and they really want to make it happen this year um you know so i think they're going to find a way to to win this series um in six games over the la clippers So in this next segment, I also want to talk about a couple of uh, really cool stories um, that came out recently, and I just want to 
talk about them. You know, obviously there's just so much going on in terms of, you know, a lot of athletes, as I talked about before, looking to make, you know, make a run towards the Olympics this year, looking to really represent and, you know, take the next step in their careers. And, you know, there's also some notable uh, people in the sport of basketball and across all sports that are looking to move up or getting promoted into new and new positions. And it's just making the sport more and more, you know, exciting, more diversity, uh, more open-minded. And it's just great to see those things happen. So the first thing that I do want to talk about in this segment is talk about Katherine Evans. Katherine Evans um, has been promoted to uh, be the VIP or VP of Research and Analytics for the Washington Wizards. So she becomes the first in the NBA to run an analytics team, analytics department of the NBA franchise. Um, and so a long time coming for Katherine Evans, uh, someone who really has worked her way up and the game of basketball has come down to so many things now where in the past, you know, NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, there wasn't the emphasis on, like, analytics. It was all about going out there and, you know, doing your best to practice, to work hard, to, you know, go day by day to be better athletes. But now there's a lot of numbers behind everything in sports. And it's it's really good, I mean, to see that, obviously, the balance is being kept, you know, where some things, the numbers don't say everything. You know, sometimes the eye test, the eye look, the way that a team plays, the way that an athlete performs, that's what it really comes down to sometimes. But analytics do drive a lot of NBA GMs and franchises to make certain decisions. And you've kind of seen it behind the scenes where a lot of teams have changed their offensive approach or some coaches have brought in different things to, like, run numbers and whatever that player can do well they evaluate that and try to make it a big part of their game so Catherine Evans is someone who has really worked among a lot of the league circles she's well respected well thought of and you know from Harvard University a doctorate you know getting a doctorate from Harvard University as a data scientist um, she really has a passion for the game in terms of just the way that these players are coming to the league, trying to make them better and better um, through research, through data analysis, uh, working on a lot of things with players with their metrics. You know, the players may not always talk about these things, but they go out there and do it every single night. And the numbers show in a lot of areas. For the Washington Wizards this year, I mean, Russell Westbrook, the way the Wizards were playing in some points this season, you could just tell that looking back at what Kathy Evans does do and the analytics really drove and you saw Russell Westbrook really put up a good show good about numbers although it didn't translate to all time winning uh, in the postseason it didn't you know make it for an entertaining regular season so you know she's someone who's been there um, you know working for a while with uh, you know overseeing a lot of data sources to be like a, da- a database where they can analyze methods and models help players in, in the evaluation you know a lot of NBA executives and front office people have to really evaluate a lot of different things and having the analytics department where someone being able to kind of manage that and oversee what the numbers say what kind of things can be improved upon as a team as a player as a coach 
um, the evaluation is really, really critical. And Catherine Evans has been doing that for quite some time where she's been able to be involved with, you know, looking at player evaluation and on-court strategy, you know, serving as a director of strategic research for the Toronto Raptors, seeing what the Raptors did recently and how they were able to, like, you know, get some talent there. And she's been doing a lot of great things in terms of just being able to spread her knowledge, her awareness, getting the right information to the right people who can make the decisions. And... She will be leading the research, you know, for not only the Wizards, but WNBA Washington Mystics, the G League. So her job is just, you know, continue to crunch numbers to really understand these players. And they're like, you know, what numbers are they really good at? In what area does it passing, stealing, rebounding, shot making, all these kind of analytics that are really a big part of the game now. It's so big in, in, in every sport now where a lot of numbers, a lot of analytics are being drawn up and there's players and teams that respond really really well to it and continue to respond well um and she's gonna be leading that with the washington wizards and other teams um throughout the capital there so uh, a nice moment for her she's definitely worked her way up um doing a lot of great things along the way uh you know and she's gonna bring an innovative approach a great mindset a great attitude towards you know, really making it great for that for the Washington, you know, business franchise, and being able to really help them build a really good team. Hopefully, but not only that, but also build like a team that has a good amount of support, understands the numbers, understands what it takes to deploy effective strategies on the court. And I think you'll continue to see more and more NBA teams and more promotions within the NBA for people who are leading the analytics department and being promoted. So it's a very nice thing to see. And hopefully it will continue to be a big part um, of the NBA in the near future. So now I want to transition to talking about another up-and-coming young uh, woman's gymnast. And that is Jordan Childs. Jordan Childs has been part of the U.S. Women's National Gymnastics Team since 2013 from Oregon. And, you know, she's been really moving up well throughout the years you know shadowing and following the great Simone Biles who once again impressed this past weekend um you know so she's been able to work and shadow Simone Biles and you know Jordan Child I mean she's so young gymnast trying to get through these times where you know you kind of question after you know, I'm doing I'm doing all this to get to to be at a high level. Um, you know, do I have it in me? And I think that for Jordan Child, she has had her fair shares ups and downs as, as any other athlete would have in the sport. Um, but she kind of rediscovered her love for the sport uh, once she was able to get encouraged by her coaches. I think a lot of times throughout the years, what was happening with her was that you know she was always shadowing Simone Biles and. She was coming, you know, third or fourth in these competitions. And one time she came out 11th, I think back in 2018. And so that at that point, she just felt like she needed a change. She needed to do something different to get herself self out, of, out of a slump that she felt that she was in. And so what she did is that she, you know, did she ended up, you know, moving um, to Texas with her mom um, to be surrounded by a better supporting kind of environment where she could thrive. And so she did with Texas, and she joined the World Champion Center, which is 
in an institute where a lot of athletes go to compete and train and get better so they can make the Olympics or make the Olympic team. So she went there and got coached up really, really well by Cecile Lando. Um, and there's one more that I'm forgetting, but you know, she basically took it on herself to like go and, comp- and compete at this at this center and, and work with Simone Biles. And when she met Simone Biles there, she got to really follow her and work with her on a whole different level. So she obviously ad- admired her from, from afar, um, but she got an opportunity to work with her when she moved, uh, you know, from Portland, from Oregon to Texas. And I think in doing so, she was able to develop a much competitive, much better mentality of doing more, attacking it. You know, her coaches push her in the right direction. And look at Jordan Childs now. She's doing so well, obviously looking to qualify for the Olympics. And she's worked her way up, worked her way up by being supported very well by a lot of great other gymnasts there, but mostly Simone Biles and seeing how she's gone, gone about being a pro I think Jordan Childs has discovered that a lot more and she continues to kind of, you know, exhibit that where she's smiling more, she's going after it more and she has that unbelievable confidence now because of the way that she's been pushed and trained. So, you know, even after finishing low in that one of those competitions, she was kind of able to like stay with it, stay the course, not quit, you know, stay with it, go and surround herself with some elite gymnasts and go to the World Champion Center, which produces great athletes uh, in training for the Olympics. And I think that was a big move for her career early on. And she's got a huge, huge future. You know, ever since she's been with the team for since 2013, to imagine that working her way up, learning how to do different things, how to be a pro, how to be an athlete, going through ups, ups and downs. And it's just great to see more and more of the USA women gymnastics teams and these players and athletes get opportunities to shine in their own unique way and you know following the standard that Simone Biles has set Jordan Childs is going to make a name for herself I can definitely say that in, in the near future um very competitive very great athlete um and you know even though she had to move you know about 1800 miles I think from Oregon to Texas or, so- or something along those lines she's been able to really take it in stride, become a pro, understand that there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of things that she can continue to work on. And she invested in herself. She invested in herself and her time to be a great athlete, you know, wanting to make sure that she never finished out of the top 10 ever again in competition. And she's been consistently doing much better. And I think she's going to have a great shot of making the Olympics team um, this year. And I can't wait to see what she does. Um... And, you know, what kind of record she will set in her own unique way in the near, near future. So, in this next segment, I just wanted to talk about a possible coaching candidate this year in the NBA. And that is... Uh, Carl Lawson um, of the women's Duke basketball program. Um, she is someone who has been, um, you know, around the sport for some time now. Um, and, you know, she definitely is someone that the Boston Celtics, the Orlando Magic, are going to consider 
their coaching searches as well as Portland potentially although we know that that may turn out to be a different case because of what Damian Lillard may want there but you know Carl Lawson um, you know became the head coach of the of, you know the Blue Devils uh, women's program and they obviously decided to you know pause their season you know because of COVID concerns and so you know, she wasn't able to get too much into this past uh, college basketball season um, you know some schools obviously did uh, but Duke did not decide to continue uh, just because of what they had felt at that time you know so uh, she is someone who very knowledgeable very uh, you know talented in her own unique way um, she played for Tennessee in her college career and then the legend Pat Summit, who everybody knows is one of the best, the best women's college basketball coach of all time. And, you know, she's had a unique career. She played as a point guard, fifth overall pick by the Detroit Shock in 2003 on the WNBA draft. And she's been, ever since, really been doing well as a player, as a person, kind of growing up the ranks. You know, she won a WNBA championship in 2005, uh, played for 12 years. Played for 12 years for three teams. Um, was really solid in the postseason, um, and just kept getting better and better as a player throughout the years. And so, you know, she represented the United States very, very well in, in the Olympics 2008, where she led them. She was the leading scorer, and they won the gold medal that year. So, you know, she's had a prolific career that. Um, has, you know, seen her really develop and grow as a person. And so, you look at where she is today, um, you know, before she made the jump to becoming a full-time head coach um, at the college level, you know, she was able to go into broadcasting, where she made that, that transition to broadcasting, where she worked for ESPN um, and worked various roles with part of some special shows on ESPN Feeling College of Basketball and calling an NBA game and then she was hired by the Boston Celtics in 2019 as an assistant coach where she really got to work with Marcus Smart um, and a lot of players in terms of his shooting and performance so she's someone who's familiar with the Boston Celtics um, to a certain degree and her alongside, you know, Becky Hammond, who has been with the San Antonio Spurs for a long while, you know, will we see, you know, a woman be given an NBA head coaching opportunity? Will that happen in this league? Um, it's something that has always been mentioned, talked about a lot throughout the years. Uh, will we see it happen, you know? Will Boston go in that direction? Would the Orlando Magic go in that direction? You know, something to watch out for. She's very talented, respected, and I think that she is going to do really good um, in terms of where she does go next. You know, if it is with Duke, and obviously, you know, she didn't really get a chance to have a full season with Duke, obviously, because they decided to, you know, withdraw from the season and. 
focus on their health and all that. So that was very you know important. That that was a decision that every team had to make, and some teams went ahead, some teams didn't go ahead. Um, but you know she is seems to be committed to Duke. Um, but you never know. You never know um, if she gets an opportunity to interview for um, you know an NBA head coaching position. Um, it'll, it'll be a win in itself, and I think that her alongside. Becky Hammond are two names um, that deserve to get some consideration. Obviously, there are the proven coaches out there as well. Um, but, you know, it would just be great to see if this moment happens where you get to see a, you know, a female become an NBA head coach. Uh, we've seen assistant coaches. We've seen um, assistant GMs at the general manager level, executive level. Um, throughout sports, just want to see if the NBA can kind of have that happen. It'll be great to see um, if it does. But on this, Carl Nelson, you know, she's had an incredible career. You know, 40 years old, a great playing career, um, a champion, and excited to see what she does with Duke next year. Obviously, things will be really interesting for the program in, in, in entirety. I mean, obviously, Mike Strzeski's retirement after this year, Duke obviously recruiting, um, and how those players who didn't get a chance to play last year, how they were, how they respond, you know, under her with more games to play, you know, that will be something that uh, will be a very interesting storyline next year, next, uh, next year in the women's college basketball season.